Well, today, my brothers and sisters, I'd like to give you a very simple message, maybe a message I've preached before, maybe a message that you hear from a lot of priests, but a very important message, a message of hope, a message of the importance of trusting in God. Today, we celebrate all saints, and this is a feast day, a very special feast day, wherein we commemorate all of those saints who are in heaven, but who maybe don't, you know, they're not the big names. They don't make it on the roster, so to speak, of the, of the liturgical year, okay? But we also celebrate, of course, the fact that all of us are called to be saints and to one day join the great company of the saints in heaven. So it's a very forward-looking feast. And in fact, it's so forward-looking, if we notice from our first reading, we don't even have an Old Testament reading. You've got a New Testament reading. In fact, you've got the reading from the last book of the Bible. That's how forward today's feast is in its, in its orientation. So here we are. We're looking up towards heaven, but we do see something going on earth. Okay, So if we look at our first reading from the Apocalypse, we see these people being sealed on their forehead, and they're being preserved by this seal. And the next thing you know, we see this scene in heaven, and they're rejoicing, and they're full of joy, and they've got palm branches, which is a symbol of their victory, and then there's this dialogue between St. John and the angel, and we learn that these people who are in heaven, who are celebrating, who are rejoicing, they are there because they made it through the great trial, a great ordeal, and that's, that's our time here on earth. It's a time of probation, so to speak. It's a time of testing and ordeal. And we are preserved through this time of ordeal with the sign that's placed on the forehead. What is the sign? Okay, so now I'm going to give you a little bit of Old Testament here because the Old Testament doesn't show up in the reading, so I've got to supply it for you. Behind this passage from the book of Revelation is another passage from Ezekiel, from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. And it's a really neat passage, in my estimate at least. The prophet Ezekiel is very sorrowful over the fact that Jerusalem, the city of God, is not living up to its vocation. Okay, They're worshiping idols, they're committing all these different sins, and God is very disappointed in them. And so there's the prophet. And the prophet sees a vision of angels who are told by God to go throughout the city and to mark on the forehead the letter, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's Tau or Tav, depends on how, who you talk to as far as its pronunciation is concerned. Okay, so they're, they're to mark the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet on everybody's forehead. Everybody they find who is mourning, mourning and grieving over the sins of Jerusalem and over the sins of Israel. And so the angels go and they mark everybody with this letter. And that preserves them because then there's some destroying angels that come and actually destroy the people who don't have the mark on their forehead. Okay. Now something really amazing about this mark, it's got a very long history both in, in pagan antiquity and within Judaism and eventually within Christianity. Okay. We know it commonly as Catholics through the whole uh, tradition associated with St. Francis of Assisi of the Tau. Okay. The Tau cross, it's like a T. Okay. Now, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the way that it was written and the time that Ezekiel was prophesying, looked like a cross. Okay, So it was kind of like a, looked like a little bit of a bent cross. It had an arm that, like this and then an arm going through it like that. Pretty neat, huh? 
So that's an amazing prophecy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we as Catholics, uh, you know, continue on with that tradition of actually making the sign of the cross on our heads. We do it every Mass, right? When we listen to the Gospel, we make the, that little Tau sign on our foreheads. And that's the seal of the living God that is preserving the people who have, who have made it through the great ordeal that we read about in our first reading today. So it's the cross that they embrace. But also I think the images and the passages from Ezekiel are meant to be brought to our, our minds and our attention when we hear this passage from, from uh, the Apocalypse. Therefore, the people who are preserved through this greater deal are those who mourn over all the different things that are going on that are contrary to God's will. But they don't stop with sorrow and with mourning. Jesus says in our gospel today, blessed are those who mourn because why? Because they will be comforted. Okay, so this story of darkness and sorrow and disobedience and evil doesn't end with darkness and sorrow and disobedience and evil. It ends with great hope. And so that's why we see the saints in heaven rejoicing and, and full of the joy of God. That is our hope for those of us who are marked with that seal, who really embrace the cross. You know, it's put right on the forehead. Okay, so the forehead is, you know, when you look at someone, that's, boom, you, that's one of the first things that you're going to notice. So that means we've got a little life that is all about the cross and that shows to the world the cross, okay? Um, we can't be ashamed of the cross. We've got to show the world the cross. And what that means is when hardships and trials come our way, we should embrace them. When we see bad things taking place in the world, they should grieve us. But again, it's not the last word. It's not the end of the story. Those who embrace the cross, those who draw close to Christ and as the man of sorrows, those who weep and mourn over the sins of Jerusalem, so to speak, are those who will be comforted. I think it's very important to make a distinction. It's a common distinction made by, by both Protestant and Catholic theologians is they make a distinction between God's perfect will and his permissive will. Okay, God's perfect will is, it's, it sets the bar really, really high. Okay, And almost no one ever lives up to God's perfect will. And we as Christians can look around in the world and we see so many things that are contrary to God's perfect will. We see all the threat of terrorism, all of this gun violence that we're looking at. It's, it's absolutely terrible. This is contrary to God's perfect will. We might experience some kind of a tragedy in our own lives, contrary to God's perfect will. We might uh, ourselves be guilty of certain sins that have gotten us in trouble and have brought bad consequences into our lives. It's contrary to God's perfect will. But you know what? All of those bad things are taken into account when it comes to God's permissive will. Nothing happens apart from God's permissive will. He's got a plan. He's in control. And so we can hope. So we don't have to just look at God's perfect will and say, oh my gosh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Forget about it. I give up. I've lost all hope. I've hardened my heart against love. I've hardened my heart against sin. I've hardened my heart against everybody. And I just, I'm going to dig a hole, crawl into it, and die. We don't have to do that. Okay? Because we know that God's permissive will is 
has the last word. And so therefore we can always hope. Even our sins, God takes those into account and uses those. And everything at the end is redeemed as long as we are repentant and we love God and we keep heading towards that ultimate destiny of, of, of joy and hope in Him. He redeems everything. Even our sins or mistakes we might have thought in our lives, well, boy, I really took a wrong turn there back when I was in my 20s or whatever, you know, took a lo- wrong turn at Albuquerque, so to speak, and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Made a mistake or made this big sin, all these negative things that take place. I wish my life would have turned out differently in, in areas X, Y, and Z. In God's permissive will, everything is ordained towards that final perfect end of hope and joy and peace in heaven. And uh, everything is redeemed. Nothing is wasted. Okay, And it allows us to say, oh my gosh, we are full, we are a people of hope. Okay, what do we got? All these things are going on that you could be pessimistic about. The pastoral planning process. You know, we're, we're an older populace. We look at why the heck are younger Catholics coming to, coming to Mass? You know, the Catholic Church in the Northeast in general seems to be on decline. There are a million reasons for us to be hopeless, okay, and to lose hope. But that's not our inheritance as the sons of God, as those who have been marked with the sign of the cross. That's not what God has in store for us. He's got good things in store for us. This morning as I was praying and preparing this homily, I, I had this passage from the book of Sirach come to mind, and it was, it's one of my favorite passages, and I think the Holy Spirit gave it to me. I'm just going to share it with you, and, and we'll leave it at that. My son, or you could say daughter, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation, for testing. Set your heart right, and be steadfast, and do not be hasty in time of calamity. Cleave to God and do not depart from him, that you may be honored at the end of your life. Accept whatever is brought upon you, and in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire, and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust trust in him, and he will help you. Trust in him, and he will make your ways straight. And hope in him. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy. And turn not aside lest you fall. You who fear the Lord, trust in him. And your reward will not fail. You who fear the Lord, hope for good things. For everlasting joy and mercy.